Jesus. Glory to God. Last week, I didn't preach, but the week before when I preached, I began to share a message entitled, Deal or No Deal? And we were going from this portion of Scripture, and I gave you a couple of points because there are some lasting requirements that the Bible speaks of that we must have if we are going to walk in the fullness of God. And the first one, I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me. Say, courage to obey the word of God is a lasting requirement. We find in this scripture here that God doesn't change his mind. From the beginning of the book of Joshua, Joshua 1.8, and God communicates to him to be very courageous and very strong, to do everything that the word of God says. In his closing admonition to the people of God, Joshua confirms that however many years later, that these, this same principle remains the same. This is a lasting principle. The word of God must be obeyed. The second thing that we found out is that our deliberate, say it after me, our deliberate, Deliberate separation from the world is a lasting requirement. From the beginning of this book, we see that God is bringing them into this land, and there is a purpose in this, and it's because he wants them to possess the land. In order for them to possess the land, they must dispossess the people that are there. In other words, they're going to go into this land not to cohabitate with them, but they're going to go into this land to take dominion of the land and to remove those out of the way. Now, obviously, again, let me remind you, this is not a ticket for us as a church today to become militant and begin to fight against people who have different beliefs and different ideas ideologies than us because that is not what we are called to do in the book of Revelation chapter 19 we see when all that's going to take place and that's when our Lord our Savior our King of Kings rides in on that white horse hallelujah and he comes in with the sword in his mouth and he is ready to make war on all of the nations and all of the kingdoms it is not our job now to try to do Jesus's job in the future we are to walk in humility and in meekness and understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood in other words, that person that you have hatred towards, you must forgive that person. You must pray for that person. And you cannot allow yourself to continue to walk in that manner because that's not the way God wants you to walk. God wants you to be free. Say, God wants me to be free. He wants me to experience the fullness of his will in my life. And so that means that I cannot walk around dealing with people as though they are my enemies because the Bible says that that is not our battle. But we must take the position of humility before God Almighty, submitting ourselves unto God, and allow God to raise us up at due time. So the first thing is that we know that courage to obey the word of God is a lasting requirement. It's important because God says it a couple of times throughout this book. He speaks of this courage. I want you to know why he says it takes courage to obey the word. Because it is not easy to obey the word of God in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of confusion. It is tough for you to stand firm upon the word therefore it takes courage to obey what the word of God teaches the next thing that we understand is that we must be separated from the world in other words we cannot allow the world to become our influence they cannot be our source of counsel remember we talked about the fact that our world should not be our source of education and information but we should see the world as a mission field because that is what it should be so we should be bringing the answers to the world not looking for answers in the world Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I want to say, and please repeat this after me, we didn't talk about this last week or the last time that I preached, and it is cleaving, cleaving. Sacrificial, love sacrificial love for God, for God. Is, a is a lasting requirement. See, to know God, to know, to, to, to know God is to love God. 
And to love God is to obey him. If you say you know him, then that means you will love him. Amen. And if you love him, you can't love him without obeying him. It it doesn't work together. Oh, I love you, but I'm going to live for myself. You don't love him. Listen, I know you're sitting there. I'm going to ask you to pray for me throughout this whole message because I think that today will probably be the hardest message I've ever preached in all of the years that I've preached. This, This is the light part, glory to God. Listen, you say we love him, but do we really love him? Do we really love him? To love him is to obey him. True love, true love for God is a sanctifying love. The, the, the only way that I can explain this to you, and, and, and some of you are not going to get this because you may have never experienced this. Others of you will get this. But one day, I met the most gorgeous, hallelujah, woman of God. And let me tell you something. I wanted to hang out with everybody until I met her and I started hanging out with her. And suddenly, this love that we experienced was separating me from everybody, including my family. My mom can attest to that. Glory to God. I was the oldest and it was weird for her. Hallelujah. I wanted to be with this person. I wanted to share time with this person. And so what happens is true love for God separates us from anything that hinders us from being intimate and glorifying him. Because we realize in our relationship with him that there are certain things that he likes and certain things that he does not like. Jesus, church, hear this. Jesus was relentless in his devotion to our salvation. And our devotion toward him will only be equaled through us experiencing his love that creates a love within us towards him. Is that not awesome? What happens is he was relentless. When Jesus came to this earth, perfect in deity, listen, we know this. God in his almighty power could have decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to snap my finger and all of humanity will be obliterated and I will create a new Adam and a new Eve and we will start this thing all over and I will do it this way. And you know what? I don't even have to do anything else. But God decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to obliterate everyone. I am going to send my son into this earth and he is going to bear the weight of the wrath of God in his life and that way I can save those who will acknowledge my son as the one who is the only sacrifice as the one who is the only way as the one who is the only means of salvation and deliverance and so what he does is he shows this great love to us through his son demonstrates he was relentless he would listen you, you, y'all know how much you love your children okay you wouldn't you, you you wouldn't send your children into a bad situation if it was in your control you know there, there are certain situations you don't want your kids to go through you don't want your kids to experience listen it wasn't that God just let his son go there or he got you know ignorant about the fact or he ignored what no 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 God sent his son into the worst situation for you and I he was relentless He was relentless. And so our response to that relentless love is what? That I am going to submit to him. 
that I am going to spend quality time in intimacy with him and I am going to allow him to love on me the way that he the way that he desires and when I begin to experience love see this is what happens church as I begin to experience his love and how do I experience his love let me get practical for a moment here I begin to experience his love through prayer but it doesn't end there because I'm going to tell you right now some Christians we are so emotional it is pitiful What happens to us is we go into prayer and we are waiting for the overflowing Shekinah glory of God to come down. And once we feel God touch us, I'm good and we walk away. Okay, that satisfied your emotional need at that moment. Is that wrong? I don't think that that's necessarily wrong at wanting to experience God. But what I do think is wrong is when that is the depth of your relationship with him. See, because what needs to happen is you need to move from that place where it's only you experiencing the things about you and you begin to get into his word. And see, the thing that I have experienced with my God and my time with him is that the same way that I can be in a moment where I am praying in the spirit and the power of God is manifesting, I can also be reading the word of God and that same mighty and powerful presence begins to enter the room and God begins to do what? Through his word, he begins to deposit life in me. He begins to deposit love in me. He begins to show me who he is and so what happens is I go from being just an emotional person a person who has some experiences with God and a shallow relationship to being a person who is now rooted in the truth of God's love that is revealed to us through his word that is where it comes from I say this all the time we are often waiting for God to repeat himself audibly to us when he has already inspired his word and what we need to do is embrace the reality that the truth will set us free the truth will liberate our soul and if we will allow the spirit of God to deal deal with our hearts by getting into this world well you know what we begin to experience it in prayer we begin to experience his love in worship but we also experience his love when we are meditating upon this word when we are studying this word listen we need to get delivered can I tell you one of the number one things we need to get delivered of we need to get delivered from casually reading our bibles what do you mean? What I mean is, we sit down, glory to God. Well, I'm going to read three chapters a day, get to the Bible in a year, and I'm good to go. Praise the Lord. But let me ask you a question. What did God speak to you in that year? I, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible doesn't say anywhere. I don't know, and I got some pastors here that I know know the word, but I don't think that any of us have found the place where it says, read your Bible. says meditate on this word study be diligent this is what the scriptures teach so why do I say that because it's not listen I, I applaud you let me, let, me, let me say this let me, let, me, let me say I applaud you for your efforts to read your bible there's another thing we got to get that oh glory to God I don't even I'm just here so let's just stay here there's another thing we got to get delivered from it's called bible roulette what's that bishop let me show you what it is the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Oh, glory to God. God is speaking to me. <laughs> glory to God. Listen to me. Can God speak to you like that? Yeah. But he's not going to speak to you like that every day of your life. Hear me. We need to be, when it says to be diligent, it means to study, show thyself approved. A workman who rightly divides the word of truth need not be ashamed. All that. You know what? Though? It's saying that we need to have a discipline in this word. So what I'm saying, we need to get delivered from casually reading the Bible, from our Bible roulette that we play, 
And we need to begin to study the scriptures. We need to begin to humbly come before God and say, God, I want to know your love. Because how are you going to know his love? When you begin to read about him and you begin to really understand. So you start looking at the God of the Old Testament. You start saying, man, he was rough. Yeah, he, he, he is. He was. It wasn't was. He is. The book of Hebrews confirms that. It says what? Our God is a consuming fire. This, he, he is a consuming fire. We need to understand it. And so what we have in our Bibles is an understanding of, wow, look at how God was. Look at how he deals with you. And then we get to this middle part of our Bible. Well, not the middle, but, you know, toward the, the first portion of the New Testament and the Gospels. And we begin to see this Jesus that goes through this suffering. And you know what we really begin to understand? We begin to understand this God that was revealed in the entire Old Testament has now met with one who can bear his wrath and that way you you and I can do what? Have salvation. So that way you and I can not just have salvation and go to heaven, but we can experience his fullness while we are here in this earth. But we have to decide some things. We got to make sure are we going to walk with him the way that he wants us to walk with him. Are we going to do what we want to do? And so we understand that this love that, was, that is relentless, the way that we learn to grow in this love is by us walking with him in this intimacy. It is by us walking with him in this truth. It is by walking with him and getting to know him through fellowship. It is by us deciding. You know, another way we do this is by us deciding, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on ahead and I'm going to take my day and I'm going to make it his day. What do you mean, Bishop? Well, I know, I know you have 900 things you have to do on Saturday. But can I encourage you? Let me encourage you. Sacrifice the first part of your day on a Saturday, if you're able, and just say, you know, God, this is your time. I just want to fellowship with you. Go on ahead and, and, and turn off that television. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice your TV time and spend some time in the presence of Almighty God. I know, I know, I know that's rough. I know that people just like cringed right now. Sacrifice TV. What? Why? That, that, that's sacred. Uh-huh. We're going to talk about that in a moment, too. Mm-hmm. Can't miss my show. Hello, somebody. Get to know his love because that love, it's, 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 it's awesome. When you begin to experience it, it produces something in you. God doesn't want you to love him in your own strength. Did you hear what I just said? He doesn't want you to try to create a love for him. He wants to create love in your heart for him. He, he wants to produce the, he's, you know, we, we, oh my goodness, we serve the most amazing God, he, he is the only one true God, but he's amazing, he is better than anybody else that we could ever know. He says, look, I, I don't want you to do this, on, I want to do it in you, but you have to allow me. You have to position yourself to do this. Cleaving love is a keeping love. Cleaving love connects us to the grace of God that empowers and motivates us to obey and it keeps us from sin. See that love. See, he said here when we're reading through chapter uh, 23 here in the book of Joshua, he said that they should not cleave to these other nations, that they should not become one, that they should hold on to the Lord. And, and when you look at that word cleaving, when you look at that word holding on, it is the same word that talks about us cleaving, that a husband will leave his mother and his father and will cleave to his wife. And so here's the thing that we've got to grasp this morning, and it is very important for us. We are cleaving to something. It is either God or something else. Oh, I'm not cleaving to anything. You're cleaving to something. The biggest lie we can tell ourselves is to say, well, you know, I'm not cleaving to anything. Oh, you're cleaving to something because he didn't give you a middle ground here and say, listen, you're just going to be up in limbo somewhere. No, you're cleaving to something. You may be cleaving to indifference, but you are cleaving to something. Hello? 
You may be cleaving to a position that is in the middle and you're cleaving to something. And guess what? That something is not God. So we have a choice. We will either cleave to him or we will cleave to other things. We will be cleaving to him. And when we are cleaving to God, that love keeps us. That love keeps us. That love helps us to grow. That love helps us to become what God wants us to become. When we move forward to the book of Joshua chapter 24, which is the next chapter here, we find the final address of Joshua unto the children of Israel. And it gives us a clear picture as to why people can seem to move so far forward and yet fail or fall short of God's best for their lives. We see a picture of this because, you know, we've probably all seen people that look like they were doing so great in God. Everything was just going. I mean, they were on a high with the Lord, moving with God, moving up and up and up, you know, moving on up. You know, all that good stuff, glory to God. Uh-huh. Moving into that next dimension, moving to that next level. We were growing in him. And then suddenly, that person that was so passionate for God, what happened to them? What happened to them? Well, what happened was they were cleaving to the wrong thing. Because we can cleave to experiences with God and not cleave to him. We can cleave to moments in God. Oh, how do we do that? Let me explain to you how we do that. Oh, that song, it rocked my world. Next week, they got to sing it again. Why? Well, if they sing that song again, I have the same experience. Youth ministry a long time, you know, and go to, go to youth camps. We all know this because we've been to those retreats, right? Go to this wonderful place. Glory of God comes down. Awesome experience with the Lord. But wait a second. Why can't we have that glory when we are walking with him just on a norm? Why can't we experience him like that? Oh, because you know what happens in the retreat? What happens in the, in the retreat is we brainwash you. What happens is in the retreat, we do some magic to you. That's what some folks think. Oh, they're going to get you alone over there. They're going to mess with your head. Hello. And you're going to come out of there crying and everything's going to be great. Let me explain something to you. You want to know what we do? We simply take you away from the influences of everything else, which is what you should be doing on your own. We take you away from all of that to bring you into an atmosphere where it's just you and God. And guess what happens? God gets a hold of you. He rocks your world. And he's simply trying to tell you, my son, my daughter, I want you to walk in this always. I want you to walk. I want you to share this with the world. I want you to understand that all of these other things that have been consuming your time, all of these other things that have been taking you away from intimacy with me, all of these other things that have been hindering you from weeping and bawling and breaking before my presence, all of these other things that have been hindering you from hearing my word and my truth penetrate, all of those things, I, I, I allow these people to lead you away from that because I want you to realize that if you are not clinging to me, you're clinging to other stuff. And when you are clinging to other stuff, you are not allowing me to fully fill and deal with your life. We don't do magic. Hello. We don't create that stuff. But, you know, it's amazing because I don't know about anybody else who's been to retreats, but every retreat I've ever been to, it is almost identical. The first day, like this. Especially with youth, glory to God. Because back then, you're taking, you know, you're taking all kind of gadgets and everything away from them. They can't do anything. They No radio, tele, nothing. So they're like, man, what am I going to do? <laughs> then suddenly, second night, the glory of God comes down. Is there some magic potion? No, because you got over yourself. Hello. You, it, it took, it, you know, and, and it's amazing. To me, what I see is I'm like, man, it takes folks like two days to get into the presence of God. 
That's some serious flesh, man. But he wants us to experience him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to walk in that cleaving love with him because we're cleaving to something or the other. What I want to talk to you today is about divided devotion. Divided devotion. Divided devotion, church, is idolatry. Let me say it again. Divided devotion is idolatry. When anything pulls your devotion from God, it has the potential to become an idol if you don't check it and deal with it. When your devotion becomes divided, that means that I'm, I'm devoted to this, but I'm devoted to this. We have a conflict of interest. Hear me. We look at Joshua's address to them. Look at chapter 24 with me, please. It says, then Joshua gathered, beginning in verse 1, <clears throat> then Joshua gathered all of the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, excuse me, Abraham, from the other side of the river, led him, through, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards, and olive groves which you did not plant and verse 14 now therefore fear the lord serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and egypt serve the lord now i don't know if you notice an abrupt transition in this conversation here but God is speaking through Joshua, and he is telling these people, listen, we started new, we started fresh in this land. He begins to, rec to, to recount to them the resume of God Almighty and what it is that God has done for them, communicating all of these awesome things and goes back from before Abram and brings them all the way to the present day. And then he says something that to me, I don't know about you, but to me it strikes me like, what is he talking about? He tells them to put away the idols from their midst. 
Now, 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 now I, I need you to think about this for a moment. And I, repeat this after me before you think about this. Say this. It is possible, it is possible. to see, hear, and understand the greatness of God and still be found an idolater. Well, y'all got low on that last part. Yes, we can see it. We can hear it. We can understand. Well, we can still be idolaters. Are we any better than Israel? Don't fool yourself now because we are no better than them. It's always easy. Oh, if I was them, I wouldn't. Yes, you would have. Don't be so proud. I would have never. Yeah, yeah, you would have. They did. You would have. He comes to them in this conversation. I, I, it's amazing to me because he goes all the way back to Terah. He goes back to Abraham's daddy. He says, they served false gods. That was the reason why I called Abraham out of there. Because I was calling Abraham. Remember we talking about being called out the Ecclesia on Wednesday night for those of you who were here? Okay, so called out and we realized that in Abraham we're called out, right? He was called out of that worship of idolatry. He goes away from these people. God is beginning to deal with him. And then what happens? God is dealing with him. You know, has, he, has, he has a child. They send. He gets, you know, child gets a wife, Rachel, all this stuff. They send the next children, right? Send Jacob. Listen, you need to send Jacob to Laban, my brother. Hold on a second now. You remember this story, right? So he's over there with Laban, you know, gets Rachel, Leah, all that good stuff, right? But then there's something crazy that happens. When they're leaving... When they're leaving, Jacob's like, all right, it's time for us to go, babe. We out, pop. See you later. She takes the household idols. She steals her daddy's idols and takes them. Hold on, time out. Why are you taking them idols? Why are you taking those idols? What do you need those idols for? I don't know, I just need him. My daddy had him. He's been blessed. Really? You, you, you didn't realize he's been blessed because of Jacob, not because of those idols? Those idols were there before Jacob, and he was blessed when Jacob, hello, somebody. But in her mind, she was all convoluted, so I, I got to have the household idols. To the point that Laban was like, hold on a second, he stole my idols. He was worried. Laban didn't get it either. I mean, I think Laban got it more than anybody else because Laban didn't want Jacob to leave in the first place. But the fact of the matter was, they leave this place. You know, Laban comes after them. His daughter goes, and she's slick Rick, right? So what does she do? He comes into the tent. She sits down on the floor. It's my time of the month. I can't get up, Daddy, and greet you because what? She's sitting on these idols. Hello? Because I was thinking, how on earth did these idols that were back then notice this? These same idols were the ones that, they, that he's talking about here. He's saying, put those idols away. These people had carried those idols all the way from there, all the way throughout their years in Egypt, brought them through the entire promised land, came, I mean, brought them throughout the entire desert, came into the promised land carrying these idols. This, this is amazing to me. You see, wouldn't you think, man, I saw the glory of God, and I know that the God of heaven, the one that came, Jehovah, he is the true God. He is my deliverer. I don't need these things anymore. I'm throwing this junk away. Wouldn't you think that would happen? No, they didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't hold on to. No, 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 that didn't happen. What they did was, Jamik said it, they held on to their good luck charms. <laughs> Rabbit's foot. They're taking the words out of my mouth, glory to God. They helped me preach today. Hallelujah. Because you know what, Christians? We have those type of things in our lives. 
We have the superstitions because that's what that was about. It was about superstition when they were over there in Mesopotamia and they were there in Terah's house. It's all about superstition. We got to worship these gods this way. And they have this superstitious type of worship. They enter into Egypt and we know that the plagues that came against Egypt, God Almighty was, 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 was demonstrating that he was the great I am, that the gods of Egypt couldn't stand against him. Study it out and you find all of the idols that Egypt had. And every one of those plagues dealt with one of those idols. That's what he was dealing with. He was showing, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. I'm the one that you need to bow down to because it was about what? Bringing his name glory and bringing his name honor. They go through all of this stuff, church, and they still have these idols. They still have these things in their lives. Since before the days of Abraham, worship of false gods existed. His father, Terah, served other gods when God called Abram out of his home. Somehow, and we just explained how, those false gods and idols were still being served by some of Israel. Amazing. And just in, in, in the same way that they were still serving those gods, they were still serving the gods of Egypt. So here's what we got to understand about idolatry, because I want you to understand this, church. We need to recognize that idolatry is a reality. It's not something, because when we think of idolatry, we think of, you know, some country where they worship cows. We think of idolatry, we think of some totem pole with a bunch of faces on it. We think of idolatry, we think of all of these different things. We think of Buddha, we think of all. Okay, so that is idolatry to us, but I want you to know that idolatry is much bigger than that. Not only bigger than that, but it is much more subtle in our lives. And when we really grasp that reality, we will become repentant and broken because we will understand that, yo, you know, we might have some idols in our lives and we just haven't even noticed that. Idolatry either originates in our past or it is a potential for our future. Period. It either originates in our past. We grow up and there's certain things. I mean, you go, you know, you can't walk under a ladder. You can't break a mirror. You can't do this. You know, throwing salt over this. And, and I see Christians do craziness like this, y'all. Christian folk raising their hand right next to you and they got their stuff. Knock on wood. What are you knocking on wood for? We become superstitious in our lives. We have these idols and we don't want to acknowledge them. We don't want to, we just want to act like, no, I'm just good. I just love God. You sure about that? You sure that he is the only God in your life? You sure that he is the only one that you have allegiance to 100%? Are you sure, sure 100%? Because we're going to go through some stuff and hopefully you get awakened to some reality. And I'm praying that we can all come with humble hearts before God and acknowledge these things. So what is idolatry? One writer wrote this. He said, anything which, keep, which we keep in our hearts in the place which God ought to have is an idol. Whether it is an image of wood or stone, or gold, whether it is money, whether it is a desire for fame or success, whether it is a desire for pleasure, or some secret sin which we will not give up. If God does not really occupy the highest place in our hearts, controlling all, something else does. And that something else is an idol. If he is not controlling everything in my life, something else is, and that thing can be an idol. And I know that's rough. I know it's hard, but we need to come to grips with the reality. Now, listen, idolatry is something. If they, listen, I want you to know, they have seen greater glory than most of us will ever see. 
They were closer to it than most of us will ever be when it comes to these type of things. These people were just a few generations or, you know, only one generation that died in the wilderness from what happened in Egypt, from what occurred in the Red Sea. They had just all of them that are here. They had all walked across the parted Jordan. All of them experienced that. Every single one of them did. And yet they still, while they walked across the Jordan with the glory of God, guess what? In their backpack, so to speak, they were walking with their idols. They were walking into this land with their idols. And so we look at this and we say, okay, well, you know, how, how, how does idolatry apply to me? Well, here's what you got to understand. We need to realize this. We were created to worship. You and I were created to worship. But what is worship? Worship means that I am going to give my entire self. I am going to give my time. I am going to give my talent. I am going to give my treasure to something. I'm going to be devoted to that thing. And listen, I want you to understand this. There's nothing wrong with having goals. There's nothing wrong for having things that you, you know, that you like to do and you enjoy to do. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about, I'm talking about us searching our hearts and saying, man, do I have issues? Do I have idolatry in my life? Are there things that I worship? Are there things that control me? Are there things? And so how do we figure that out? Well, you know what? The easiest way that I do this is, you know what? Ask yourself, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your time? Because there's some folks, they spend four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day on internet, television, radio. They don't even spend an hour in prayer. And yet, you say, he's your God. There are people, ain't nothing wrong with clean cars. Hello, somebody. If you need, if you need a car to clean, just let me know. I got two of them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But there are folks... Listen, they wash their car every day, especially love bug season. Hello, somebody. You got to come home, and you got to get them love bugs off because, what, 48 hours, and it starts to get all okay. So we, every day you're out there making sure, scrub, 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 hello. Every day you're out there doing it. You're spending time doing that. You don't even make sure that you pray every day. You don't make sure you read your Bible, but you make sure your car's clean every day. Everybody sees that car. Well, that car's looking tight. Look at that. Bling, bling, uh-huh. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend? And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I've purposed in my heart not to even talk about what you do and not coming to church. I don't want to talk about that. Glory to God. I do not even want, I'm not even going to say that because you know better. I'm going to just say it because I said it. Glory to God. You can do all of these things. But you can't make it to church one midweek service a week. Hello. Let me just say this. I would like to applaud those who are making that effort. Clap your hands for Jesus and for them. Because my wife and, you know, we notice that there are more people coming out on Wednesday nights and growing with the vision. We appreciate that. But here's the reality. The reality is all kind of other things get in our way. So where do I spend my time? Well, what about work? Can work become an idol? Yes, it can. Oh, but Bishop, I got to work. You're right. 100% you got to work. I would not deny that. You have to work because if you don't work, the Bible says, I believe it's in like 1 Timothy chapter 3 something or chapter 5 verse 8. It says that if you don't work, you're worse than an infidel. I got that. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. So, yeah, you got to work. But can work become an idol? Well, let me, let, 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 let me just give you my personal testimony because, you know, even ministry work can become an idol. And then especially when you have this wonderful iPhone, right? So instantly, my phone vibrates in my pocket. Oh, I got some text message or I got an email or something like that, right? So then what happens? Do I ever disconnect? 
Well, I thank God for my wife and my daughter because they are always challenging me about that. Be like, what's up? What's up? You, you, can you put the phone over there? And my wife, you can't bring the phone in the room anymore. Glory to God. I gotta, the phone stays in the kitchen. This is a sacred area here. I thank God for her because you know what? She's going to keep me from idolatry. Hello? At least she'll keep me from acting it out. I got to work out the internal part of it, but you see what I'm saying? I'm just, look, I confess my sin because, you know, y'all sit there acting like y'all are holy. I'm not that holy. Hello? I'm here to let you know I'm saved by the same grace that saves you, and I do not walk on water like Jesus did. Hello? I wouldn't even make the first couple of steps like Peter did. I'm just, I'm just making it clear. And so the truth of the matter is, can, we, can, can, can these things become idols in our lives? Absolutely. You got to leave work. There was one job that I had. I'll never forget this job. This job used to get up in the morning at like, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning. I had to, you know, get paperwork and everything done. So I get paperwork. And mind you, have my prayer time, go and start doing paperwork. After I'm done doing the paperwork, had to go out, work all day in the field, doing this, doing that, doing the next thing. Get done with that. Got to come home. After I did everything I had to do, then I have to come home and do another couple hours of paperwork. And then I was also a youth pastor at that time. I was a husband as well. Thank God I didn't have a daughter because if I would have had her, it would have been crazy. Hallelujah. Because she would not allow me to not spend time with her. So it would have been a real crazy situation. And I'm in this job and I'm like, wait a second. What's running my life? Is Jesus running my life or is this job running my life? Oh, I know that's hard. Listen to me. I know we're in a tough economy. My question is, do you trust Jesus? My, that, that's my question. Because if you recognize that this thing is being Lord of your life, what do you mean Lord, Bishop? You recognize that this thing is what is leading and making all your decisions for you? Then you know what you do? God, you got to show me something because I want to serve you. I know, tough preaching. I want to serve. I don't want to serve this job for the rest of my life. I don't want to take, because the Bible tells me what? I got to be a good father. I got to be a good husband. I got to be a faithful witness. I can't do any of this stuff because this job is controlling my life. So where do you spend your time? What about your talents, your abilities? Where do you use them? Where are they being used? Are they being used for your glory or for his glory? Where are you using your talents? Where, 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 do you, where, where do you invest your time, your effort? Is it to bring glory and honor to him or is it to bring something to yourself? Where do you invest your talents? What do you use your talents on? What do you spend your time in? What are you doing now? Where do you, where, where do you spend your money? Let's, let's go into our pocket. Hallelujah. Go into our checkbook. Look, you know, you know what? You can tell where your gods are. Now, notice I said gods, plural. You can tell where your gods are by going to see where you make all your checks out to. Oh, glory to God. I told you all to pray for me. I told you to pray. You thought I was joking. Follow. All you got to do, follow, follow where your money is. Let me ask you this. What is the first check you write? The first check you write when you get paid, what is it? I, I'm not even going to talk to you about tithing because it's not even an issue of that. It's not, that. That's not even my issue. God requires in the Old Testament, he talks about first fruits and all this good kind of stuff. Where is your heart when you get, when, what is the first, do you want to bring glory and honor to God? Are you thinking about how can I sow, how can I invest into the kingdom? Where is the first check you write? Oh, well, you know, I got to pay this and I have to pay that and I have to pay this. Okay. Just asking you a question. What is the first check you write? 
It should be direct because you know what? We honor him with our wealth. How do we honor him with our wealth? Well, you know what? By how we use it outside. You know, the other percentage, whatever your percentage that you give, well, you know what? Whatever percentage that is outside of that, you honor him in that area by glorifying him and by not being a person who has idols all over the place. You see, you know why I bring this up? I'm going to tell you why I bring this up. And I started saying this one week, and I, and I got off track because, you know, sometimes that happens to me. You know, I start talking about something, and I go over here, and I forget to come back to it. But I, I, was, I was making a point the other day, and it was when I was doing I think I was doing tithes and offerings or something like that. And I said, you know, it's funny because I would have people tell me. And I, I never forget this. I've had people, and there's nobody sitting here, so don't get offended. Um, but I had people tell me in the past, they're sitting down with me and we're, you know, we're talking about financial issues because obviously, you know, folks want to come and they want, you know, they need help and they need different things. And I believe in that we should help and we should assist people. But someone come to talk to me and they tell me, well, you know, man, you know, I'm having these issues financially. I'm like, okay, well, I want to know how to use your money. I mean, how do, how, do you, how do you use your money? Because you have all these issues financially. So obviously there's a problem, right? There's, there's a disconnect here. I'm a firm believer. You need to give to God. You need to figure out a way to give to God. Bottom line, because there is a work that needs to be done. That's something that you should do it's something that the new testament asks of us and so it's something that we should be doing so sitting down with this person having a conversation this person is telling me you know well you know i just i i, I do this i do that the next thing i'm like okay and i said well do you give anything to god oh well i can't afford to give to god and i'm like really now i see you coming to this church every week nails done hair done now 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 i've paid for my wife's nails and hair hello i mean not hair she i don't, I don't even know what that bill is but um glory to god Praise the name of Jesus. But, you know, I've gone and done, and, and done the little gift card for the nails and the toes, right? So I know that for her in this one place, like 30 bucks, right? Now, this person's talking to me and communicating to me. Now, I'm asking these questions. I'm not, I want you to know this. I'm not assuming that they're getting their nails done. I'm talking to them about what they're spending their money on. They're communicating to me that they are paying to have someone professionally do this. Man, I can't afford to give to God. Okay. Really? Bishop, you don't understand. You're not a man. You're bald. Okay. All right. Glory to God. You're not a woman. You're bald, right? You're, 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 you don't need to get your nails done. You're right. I don't need to go through all of that. That was messed up, y'all. <laughs> Glory to God. That, 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 that was payback from Mike. All right. Hallelujah. God, that was good. All right. You're going to edit that, my brother. You got to fix that back there, that one right there. You're not, you're not a woman, Bishop. You don't have hair. You don't understand all those things. Listen to me. I understand this much, that if I am faithful with the little, God will give me much. If I am faithful with what he has provided for me, if I am faithful to him, you want to talk about idols, where do you spend your money? Listen, some folks, and look, I, I, I have cable in my house, but I can tell you, my wife and I, the first check we cut is to the church, and not just to the church, because we have to cut two checks, because I have to give my tithes to the ministry that I have my credentials through, so I have to tithe to my ministry, and then she ties to the church, and so we do that, and you know what, we budget, and we're always cutting stuff, and every time that we pay a bill, and you know what, in our hearts, we want to give more to God. Why do you think that we're blessed in that area? Because that is our heart. Now, I realize something, that there have been times in my life that I have had some real issues with idolatry and didn't even realize it. And you know what ended up happening? I can tell you what happened. I ended up running up credit cards because of my idolatry. Oh, because I got to have this. Well, when I was growing up, I didn't have this. Well, we can afford to pay the credit card bill. Uh-huh, yeah, you can, right? So you think. You can pay the credit card bill. You just get what you want, and look, you look blessed. Mm -hmm. Look blessed. 
You know, what the, you know what my Bible says in the book of Proverbs? Remember this one. The next time you feel, oh, God is blessing me. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. Did you hear what I just said? The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. It doesn't, the blessing of the Lord makes you look rich and now you got a headache. That's not what the scriptures say. The ble- oh, God is blessed. Really? Where do we spend our money? We can tell. Do we have idols? You see, when we're looking at this question of idolatry, you know what is one of the clearest ways to know if you have an idol in your life? It is how you respond when something is removed, changed, or challenged. How do you respond? When something is an idol in your life, you know what happens? And I love this. Mark Driscoll said this, and I thought it was a powerful statement. When something is an idol in your life, when it is removed, when it is changed, when it is challenged, you're paralyzed. In other words, your mind, you can't get off that channel. You are stuck on that channel because this thing that is so important to you, this thing, and and you know what? Your idol, and I'm going to break it down like this, your idol can be your spouse. Your idol can be your spouse. You can live, and you know what? All you want to do is make sure that your spouse is happy. You don't care if God is happy. You don't care if God is honored. You you just want to make sure your spouse is happy. Put it to you like this for our young people. Your parents can be your idol. As long as my parents are happy, as long as my parents are good, as long as my parents agree with what I do, it doesn't matter what God says, doesn't matter what God thinks, does that mean you don't honor your parents? The devil is a liar. You honor your parents, but the judge of your life is Jesus Christ. The judge of your life is not your husband, it is not your wife, it is not your bishop. Hello, you can worship, you can worship your leadership. You can think, oh, I got it, that's right in the back, glory to God. You can think, oh, you just need the approval of your leadership and you're good. Listen, that is the wrong mentality, church. Because sometimes leaders approve things in the flesh. You know why? Because we are not immutable. And so, yes, you give honor and you give esteem and you respect people. But you know what? You need to make sure that you have a relationship that is right with God Almighty. You need to make sure you have a relationship that is right with him and that you are not allowing anyone else to be the judge of your life. That he is the judge. Yeah, these other people are there to help you stay in line. These other people are there to help you walk. But you know what? You need to make sure that whatever they're approving or disapproving, it aligns with this scripture. That's what I love about this church. Listen, I, and, I, and I let you know, sometimes it's rough. It's rough because you know what? You want to approve things. You want to say this is good and that's good or whatever, but it don't line up with this. It's not good. No matter how good it feels, no matter how good it looks, no, no, no. It is not good. And so what happens? What happens when that situation occurs? You, you've worried about losing your job? Listen, you get frantic. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to lose my job. Oh, my goodness. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Is your job the anchor to your faith and salvation, or is it Jesus? Your marriage is going through whatever, and you know what the problem is? That's an idol in your life. You're worshiping her. You're worshiping him. And so all of a sudden, does that mean things don't hurt? Listen, I saw the most awesome thing in my life. I had never been to what what I would call a real Christian funeral until my wife's aunt died. The reason why I say real Christian funeral is because, man, I, you know, I, 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 I experienced something there that I had never experienced in any other life. I experienced a woman who she wasn't a pastor. She wasn't loud. She wasn't anything. But, man, she left a legacy of faith behind. 
And when I went to this thing, I sat there and I listened. And if I've been to someone's funeral in here, you know, not somebody's funeral in here, but someone's family member in here, then please don't be offended. I'm not saying anything about your thing. What I'm saying is when I went to this funeral, I sat there and I watched them celebrate the life of this person. But what I watched above anything else, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, there's a possibility. You never know who's going to die first, my wife or myself. So there's a possibility that I'm going to be the one that's going to bury my wife. And so you know what I did? I watched my uncle, her uncle. I watched the way that he was in this whole thing. And you know what? All of these days, I sat there with him. It was, it was amazing. I sat there with him the day that I got to Texas. We sat down and we were eating and we were talking about other stuff. And I knew that he had cried. I mean, hello, he loved this woman. This was, you know, his wife, all of this. I knew that he went through some stuff. But, man, he wasn't shaken by her passing. He wasn't like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do without her? No. Because his foundation, his root, his anchor, his focus of worship was who? Jesus. And for me, church, when I looked at that, I was like, man, I pray that I can be that way. Because I know how much I love my wife. I know how much I care for her. I know how much she means to me. I know that it would be, my life would never be the same. But you know what? It would be the same in the sense that I still have Jesus. I'm still walking with him. No matter what leaves me, no matter what goes on. So how do we know? Look, man, how, how do you respond? And see, here's the problem, church, and this is why this is, like, shocking, and people are like, well, I don't understand. You know what? Much of our idolatry is unintentional. Much of it's unintentional. We were created to worship, so we just do that. We were created to have allegiances. We were created. God created. That's, that's why the Bible says that the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth because we were created to worship. Therefore, he is seeking that which he created us to do and saying, I want those who are going to worship me, those who are going to seek me, those who are going to make allegiance to me, those who are going to worship and serve because you cannot worship without serving. Hello. And so he communicates clearly that this is his desire for us. Because when we worship him, here's the thing you got to realize. The only one who can take the place of God and handle the weight of that is him. See, because when you worship your spouse, you will crush them. Because they will fail you and you will put too much demand on them. When you worship your children, you will crush them. Because they won't say anything because they want to please you and they want to make you happy. But you know what will happen? You will crush them. They never become who they are. And then you find out years later they're rebelling because what? They were an idol in your life, and you can admit it or not, but you know what? You'll see the fruit of that. Hello? When you worship your job, hmm. See, and here's the beauty. This is the beauty of God, is that God is not into keeping your idols around. <laughs> he will allow you to go through some stuff that will cause the rug to be pulled out from under you. He will allow it just to shake. Wait, hold on a second. Who are you worshiping? Where's your allegiance? Does he want you to experience? No, 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 no. He wants you to worship him because when you worship him, you eliminate a whole bunch of stuff in your life. Much of our idolatry is unintentional. Some of it is, is even unknown to us, yet it is no less sinful, no less harmless, and it is no less an abomination before the Lord. So you know what? You might have idolatry in your life, and it's unintentional. Okay? You still need to repent of it. You still need to acknowledge it. You still need to know that that is separating you from the fullness of God. So the same way you look at the children of Israel that are here, that are, that, are, that are in this promised land. They're what? They're experiencing this wonderful glory. They're experiencing all of this blessing, and yet they still are carrying idols around. 
Joshua is communicating to them. You cannot worship idols. You cannot worship. You, you, you need to make a decision in your life. The second thing, please repeat this after me. The only real solution for idolatry is the biblical fear of the Lord. I want to show you something really quickly. Turn your Bibles with me really quick and, and just hold your place there, though. I want you to turn to 2 Kings. I want to read a long chapter to you. I'm not letting you know it's long. We're going to read for a moment here. But I want you to see something here. 2 Kings chapter 17. Because I want, you, I, I, want, I want you to get a picture of what some of us look like. Second <laughs> Kings chapter 17. And we're, we're, we're just, just for the fun of it, we're just going to read the whole chapter together. Wow, what a concept. We're going to read a whole chapter in the church. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Beginning in verse 1, it says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah... Hoshea, the son of Ella, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came, upon, came up against him, and Hoshea became his, his vassal and paid, him tribute, and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to, to sow king of Egypt and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, and he, had done, and he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Now, the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the harbor, the river of Gozen, and in the cities of the Medes. And so we're seeing that now Israel, this is when, when, when Israel is being taken captive by Assyria. And so God is showing you what's happening because these people were walking in idolatry. They were worshiping false gods. They had bad and poor leadership that was not that were not addressing the issues of idolatry and so we move on to verse 7 for so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt and they had feared the other gods and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. And so again, we see clearly that God warns them in the book of Joshua and says, if you walk according to their statutes, if you walk according to their ways, if you mix worship the wrong way, if you mix your allegiance, if you have divided devotion, then you are going to bring a curse upon yourself. And finally here is when we begin to see the fruition of what God says. So you cannot decide, oh, well, I, this is not going to happen. It took some time. It didn't happen right away. It took a course of time. And now they have this thing where they are now in this bondage. Verse 9 goes on to say, also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord, their, their God, things that were not right. Secretly to who? Not secretly to God. That's our problem, church, is we think we're doing stuff in secret like God doesn't see. Just because mommy and daddy didn't see it, just because your leaders didn't see it, just because your kids didn't see you do it. Hello? Because, you know, we're accountable to our kids, too, to live righteously. Hallelujah. Just because they didn't see the inappropriate behavior doesn't mean that God didn't see it. 
And so secretly they did what was not right, and they built for themselves high places in their cities from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. And so you know what happens too is that we become so overwhelmed by the way the world does stuff, we think the church don't do it good enough. Mm-hmm. We become so overwhelmed by the way that the world does it, the fun they seem to be having. Well, why, why, why can't we do that? We're not supposed to be like the world, church. We're supposed to have a different satisfaction, a different level of devotion. We're supposed to have something different going on inside of us. If we need all of the promptings and motivations of the world, I have to question if I'm really a Christian. Hello. Yet, verse 13, the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear but stiffen their neck like the neck of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. You see, because what happens is you start off by just admiring what they're doing. Then you move on to the place to kind of sharing what they're doing. Then you move on to the place where you totally abandon God. You totally abandon his commandments. You totally abandon his ways. Moving on to verse 16. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image and worship all the host of heaven and serve Baal. And they, and they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Oh, well, I would never put my kids through the fire. That's disgusting. But you know what? Every time that you're worshiping your idol, rather than being a parent, guess what? You are sacrificing your children in the fire of this world. I know you don't like that, but the reality is that when you are not doing what the scriptures teach with your time, with your children, then you are doing the same thing. You just don't have them going through fire, but you're offering them up to other gods to do what? Oh, let's talk about one of the greatest gods how about our television the one that raises our children the one that we let our kids say you know what you sit in front of the tv while i play on the computer you sit on the tv while i go do this you sit on the tv while i go and have this fun you go and do all of that that's the one that's raising our children and we're sacrificing them there and we wonder why they live the way they live because they're in the presence of other deities they're in the presence of other gods and we don't want to acknowledge it and repent there was an issue church We need to repent and truly come before God and realize, again, I want to say this because I said it the other week, repentance is not only for, un, for non-believers, it is also for believers. We hear the word repent and we turn it off. No, we need to wake up. This is God speaking to our hearts, saying, wait a second, do you have idols in your life? Therefore, verse 18, the Lord was very angry with Israel. And removed from them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. 
Also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they had, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of the plunderers until they had cast them from, until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sin of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not part from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all of his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. So the writer is writing up until the day when they're in bondage to Babylon and these things. He's writing. He's saying, you know what? Up until this day, they're still not serving God. Up until this day, this is what has been happening. They're still in bondage. So he's fast-forwarding, and he's saying, this is what is going on. But I want you to look at verse 24, and we'll go down from there, and you're going to see some stuff that this is what our picture is in a lot of areas in our life. And he says, then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in the cities. And so understand this, Samaria was supposed to belong to Israel. Israel was supposed to dwell in that land. And so what this king does, he takes Israel bondage, he, he takes Israel captive, takes them into bondage, and then he says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fill the land with strangers. We're going to fill the land with people who were supposed to have been driven out. We're going to fill the land with those who do not belong there. And so something happens. Verse 25, it says, and it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. And it's speaking of these people that don't know anything about God Almighty except the rumors that they heard about. Because by the time these people met the children of Israel and Jehovah God, you want to know what happened? They were so weak and they were so impotent. They were not able to overcome them as an army. And so you know what happens is all of these nations have their gods. And what they're saying is, you know what? Our God, the Assyrian God, because here's the thing, we're all created to worship and all society everybody understands something and in these days especially that the gods that we worship are the ones who grant us victory in war so when I go to war and my army wins it's because my God was stronger than your God this is what was being communicated my God is stronger than your God and you know what creates that, church? It is when we have idols in our lives that we become impotent as Christians. We become incapable of walking in the kingdom authority because our devotion is divided. So he goes on to say, and it was so at the beginning of their dwelling that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Do you know what God says? Okay. Israel, they were idolatrous. But I want you to understand something. This land still belongs to me. This land still has promise connected to it. This land is still a land that I have sanctified for my people. This is what he's communicating. So what does he do? He takes lions because you know what? The beasts of the field, they're going to give him praise. Hello. So he takes the lions, send these lions among them, and then the people that are there are now in the land. Verse 26. So they spoke to the king of Assyria saying, the nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Now, here we go again. They don't know the rituals. They don't know the religious customs of the God of the land. Again, they say, look, there's a problem here. We need to fix this. They don't know, the, they, they, they don't know these religious customs. In verse 27, we'll move on there. 
It says, Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So this priest comes in, and he communicates to them, well, this is God Almighty. This is what the law says. This is how you're supposed to worship him. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how things are supposed to be. Verse 29 says, however, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkoth, Banath, the men of Kuth, Negel. The men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tarta. Now, uh, now, I want you to understand what's going on here. All of these names that I'm saying, when it says these men made this, he is saying these are the gods they made. So these people went into that land. They made these gods. So they have these gods, okay? These are our gods, so we're making these gods. We have these gods that are going before us. Verse 31, and the Avites made Nibhaz, Tartak, and the, and, and the Sephirites burned their children in the fire to Adrimelech and Anamelech, the god of Sepharvaim. So, now listen to this. This, 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 this is what you got to hear. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places, who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. You see that? That word Lord there, it's capitalized in your Bible for a reason. That is Jehovah, the existing one. What he's saying here, these people are heathens. They're not the children of Israel. And what they did was they classified Jehovah as one of the many gods. The same way that they feared the gods that they made, they feared him. He wasn't above their gods. He was right there in equal, in, in, in equal ground with them. This is what is communicating to us. Why do I read this? Because that's how many of us are. Divided devotion. Oh, we fear God. You, you, oh, don't, don't use the Lord's name in vain around me. We fear the Lord. We fear him. We know we, we shouldn't talk certain ways. We shouldn't do certain things. We got to go to a certain place. We can't go to, we, we, we understand that. But we still have our idols, church. We still have our idols. We still have our idols that we're worshiping that are equal with God in areas in our life. We still have those things that are there. And so the question is, what are we going to do about it? You continue on to read through this chapter and you find that at the end of it is when the writer communicates, they didn't fear God. They didn't truly fear God. But you know why they weren't guilty like the other people? Because these people didn't know the covenant of God like Israel. They weren't called to this covenant relationship like Israel was. You see, when, they, when, when Joshua is here with the children of Israel, going back to the book of Joshua, chapter 24, please, we see that Joshua is there. In verse 15, he says something. If you look there, y'all know this verse. You should know it because you probably heard it quoted tons and tons of times. And it says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua makes a decision here. He says, you know what, we're going we're gonna to serve the Lord. I don't know what y'all are going to do. Because we've been in this promised land for you know, over 15 years here. 
We've been in this promised land. God has given us rest from our enemies. God has given us rest. He, he, he is in, he's given us this inheritance as a land, and yet you still have idols walking with you. You still have these things that are in your life. You still have these things that are there, these things that are going with you. And so when we move into the New Testament, when we find some things, where do we get idolatry? Where does the New Testament speak of it? You know why? You know why this message is important? Because when you look at the book of 1 John, 1 John, now remember John. John was the apostle that Jesus loved, right? You remember him. He writes an epistle called 1 John. And you know what his last words to that, to, in, in that epistle were? His little children, guard yourselves from idols. He didn't pray. He didn't say grace and peace like Paul does. He didn't say any of that. He said, little children, guard yourselves against idols. Guard yourself. Why, why would he talk to the church like that? Why would he tell the church that that's supposed to know the love of God, that's supposed to walk? Why would he communicate with the church to guard yourself against idols? Because no matter what, we are all subject to that temptation. We are all subject to find our identity in the wrong things. We are all subject of trying to find pleasure in the wrong things. You know what the scriptures teach? The scriptures teach it clearly, and I give you these scriptures. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, God is speaking through the apostle Paul, and the apostle Paul is talking about those who are among them, who are enemies of the cross of Christ, and he tells them that their God is their belly. Did you hear what I said right now? He said, their God is their belly. Their God is their passion. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. This is what he communicates. He's saying, listen, their God, the one that's, they're not, they're, they're not serving the Christ of the cross. They're serving their appetite. They're serving their passions. They're serving their desires. When you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the Bible talks about these perilous times that we're going to live in. It speaks to us about these things. And it says, the first thing that it says, that I believe in verse 2, it says, and men will be lovers of themselves. Men will be lovers of themselves. And when you look through all of those things, you know what you're going to find? If you look at all of them, you'll find that every single one of them, everything, every single thing they do is because they love themselves. They're boasters because they love themselves. They're traitors because they love themselves. They're headstrong because they love themselves. They're haughty because they love themselves. They're unthankful because they love themselves. They are unholy because they love themselves. They are disrespectful and dishonoring to parents because they love themselves. And the end says they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is what idolatry looks like, church, when we love ourselves more than anything else. And what we've got to come to grips with is that we all have to contend with this reality because the greatest idol that you and I will ever have to pull down is ourselves. The greatest idol, because that is the key to it all. It all comes back to worship of self. It's about my pleasure. It's about me. It's about what I get. It's about what I have. It's about the way. Listen, I want you to understand something. There is no way on God's green earth that this nation got into like 13 trillion plus dollars in debt because idolatry wasn't existing. Hear me. There is no way. And so this word is not just for you. It is for this nation, church, because we need to recognize that there are things that hold the same place as God. So what is idolatry? What is idolatry in, 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 its, in its purest form? Turn with me to this last scripture here, and I'm getting ready to close, to the book of Romans, chapter 1. 
the book of Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. Let me pause for a moment, because this is not, this is not talking about the church here. This is talking about creation. This is talking about, this is talking to the church, but it's talking about creation. And it's saying that this is what happens. They don't worship God as God. They don't worship him as who he really is. They worship their own opinions more than his revelation. They worship their own thoughts. They worship their own knowledge. That's why the scripture says in verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Well, we don't need God. We're good. And as Christians, we would never say we don't need God. But you know what? Our actions speak differently. And the question is, how are we going to deal with that? Verse 23 says, or we'll start at verse 22 again, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave, up, gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served, remember those words together, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is what idolatry is, church. Idolatry is when we dethrone God and enthrone things. It's when we don't allow God to have that preeminent place in any area of our lives. That is what idolatry is. Idolatry is when we degrade the creator from his deity status while deifying his creation. We begin to worship people. We begin to worship things. Listen, in our society, we see it all the time. You got these folks, man, they worship the stars, you know, and, and astrology and all of this type stuff. They worship the trees, you know, they, they you don't, trees are sacred. God is not. Listen, there's nothing wrong with going green. There's nothing wrong with appreciating his creation. But some people, that is more sacred to them than anything else. And then we obviously, we have our heroes. You know, we would never look at this. We would never think, you know, when we look at the stadiums that we have that we build to do what? To all gather together to do what? To sit there and watch these. You know, I was listening to Mark Driscoll talking about a woman. He said he was with this woman, and when she was, um, she, she was in this country, third world country, and he said he was standing next to all of these chickens, 
you know, dead chickens, you know, all over the place. You could see all this deity worship. He said, I guess they're worshiping the chicken God. I don't know. He said, but this woman was a minister, and she wasn't worshiping the chicken God, but, you know, she was a minister, and they were ministering. And he, he asked her, he said, so when are you going to come to the United States, you know, and minister? And she's like, I'll never go there. You guys are too idolatrous. And he said, man, this, this nation that I was in had tons of gods. I mean, the street was filled with all of these things, sacrifice. And this one was like telling us that we're idolatrous. And he's like, how so? And he said, your God is your belly. She said, your God is your belly. Like, you ever drive down the road and you see all of those restaurants and all of these places? How do you think that they're there? Because everything is about convenience for you guys. You guys go and you go into these stadiums. You pay all of this money to go and do all of these things. To do what? What are you doing? Church, listen to me. You can take this or you can leave this. That's entirely up to you. I know that I've taken this. Because I realize that, you know what, when we think of idolatry, we just think of, again, we think of totem poles, we think of Buddha, we think of whatever we know as an idol. That's not the truth. The truth is we worship things. We worship things. And we, and we have a choice. We can either say, God, deal with my heart on this. Show me what's first in these areas. Show me what's right. Because what they did was creation did it. They exalted other things. In the church, we see it all the time. We hear the prosperity message. So what do we do? We look at godliness as a means for gain. It's not about Christ. We come to Jesus because of what? Because of all he can give me, not because of what he did for me. Idolatry, church. Let's all stand to our feet and bow our heads, please.